Welcome to Amnesty International's comedy podcast series. This year, Amnesty's had exclusive backstage access at two of the biggest events on the comedy calendar, the 2014 Edinburgh Festival Fringe and the Balham Comedy Festival in London. We'll be bringing you a series of interviews with some of the greatest stand-up comedians working today, and along with finding out about the business of laughter, we'll be chatting about life, politics and human rights. Today, we're backstage at the Balham Comedy Festival in London with deep-thinking stand-up Rob Newman. He'll be enlightening us with his in-depth knowledge of Darwin, Dawkin and his own theory of evolution. Hello, Rob Newman. Hello. Thank you for joining us at the Balham Comedy Festival and speaking with Amnesty International. So your new show is called Robert Newman's New Theory of Evolution. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, it's about how a series of sort of lucky flukes and personal disasters led me to stumble upon a a new theory of evolution which I'm calling Survival of the Misfits. It's a sort of a critique of the Dorkinite dog-eat-dog sort of uh, uh, dogma and um, which I also argue is very much opposed to Darwin's ideas. And it's kind of, well, from what I gather from it, it kind of chimes with Amnesty's um, beliefs that together we are powerful. I mean, it seems clear from seeing the show that you believe that we are actually born with innate social instincts uh, rather than being selfish creatures. Yeah, I mean, that's Darwin's phrase from 1871's uh, Descent of Man, you know, know, that that we're endowed with innate social instincts, as you would expect from an evolved product of living for millions of years in social primate groups of one stripe or another. Um, And Dawkins says... You know, we are born selfish. It's the famous peroration from Selfish Inc. Th- where he says, be warned that if you wish to cre- create a society in which people cooperate unselfishly for the common good, you can expect little help from biological nature. Let us try to teach altruism because we are born selfish. Now, this is an idea that drives not from original sin, not from origin of species, but from original sin. And, um, and uh, it's very damaging. Um, um, uh, and it's this, this, this atomized world. It, can- it comes to the fore sort of precise at the time as there is no such thing as society and the reason why it's never it's never it's it's so ubiquitous despite having never had less scientific respectability than now is because it's such a powerful vector for free market economics uh, and um, that that, that whole um, Chicago school of uh, you know uh, woe to the vanquished and the weak Mm. go to the wall so with your theory Mm -hmm. your new theory of evolution is it fair to say your sort of out alone as opposed to you know, the predominant theories that, uh, say, Dawkins has? I don't think so. I think the idea that cooperation drives evolution more than competition, which is a sort of theory I uh, uh, just talk about a lot in the show, and that's kind of part of my theory. That's a very old theory. I mean, that's in, it's in Darwin. And Darwin says, quote, those communities which included the greatest number of the most sympathetic members would flourish best and produce the most offspring. He also says a tribe... Uh, possessed of uh, in a high degree of a spirit of empathy, always ready to aid one another for the common good, would um, on the whole be victorious over most other tribes, and that would be natural selection. Right in the centre of Darwinism, mm. it's but there. But it's kind in... of been forgotten a little bit. Yeah. Well. Well. Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, um, the it's you, you know Stephen Jay Gould was a different thing, and then and Ernst Mayer, who was sort of one of the. Um, I mean. It, it doesn't get the mainstream coverage it, it, it deserves. The mainstream it, coverage. It, yeah, yep. the evolutionary psychology and 
sociobiology and selfish gene project gets a lot of coverage, but it doesn't have that much scientific respectability compared to, let's say, if you look at someone like Ernst Mayer, who was, mm. a, who was um, a leading light of the evolutionary synthesis, which in the 1940s rescued Darwin from semi-obscurity by showing that Mendelian genetics was consistent with natural selection. Well, Ernst Mayer said the idea of people in England like Dawkins, that the gene is the target section, is totally un-Darwinian and evidently wrong because the gene is invisible to natural selection. And that's, you know, that's somebody who won the Wallace Darwin Gold mm. Medal in 1958. And what I argue in this show is that the you know, new discoveries of epigenetics make a lot of Dawkins' views rather quaint. And there's quite a lot of movement. Um, I mean, Epigenetics being the theory that we're, not, we're more than just what our genes... Well, that's yeah. Well, I mean, the, the idea that we're more than our genes is uh, yeah. That's Darwin, Wallace. That's yeah. the mainstream of. I mean, that's, there's a few sort of reductivists mm. on the extreme lunatic fringe, uh, mentioning no names, who, who argue that genes are us. But that's yeah. not a respectable position. Um, um, epigenetics is the idea that well, the discovery, and a very recent discovery that life experiences can be passed on. That you know, in a very limited form. Uh, that we can, after all, um, inherit acquired characteristics, and of course that was the great heresy. That was, you know, that was mm. called that was Lamarckism. You know, he's fam- you know, in your first year studying biology, I, I guess everyone get, learns mm. to laugh at him saying as a terrible example that he chose that you know the giraffe, giraffe gets a long neck from stretching up at the yeah uh, for the trees, or the blacksmith's son has a strong muscle because you know inherited from the blacksmith, but. You, because of you, you, blacksmith hitting his hammer so often on the horse's hoof. Those examples are wrong, but Lamarckism, the idea that you can inherit acquired characteristics, is uh, a modified form of that the science shows is true. And of course, Darwin never wrote it off. He mm. thought it was part of a, a weakly acting um, type of selection, but, but, a, but, a, but nevertheless, mm. it was there. Well, I'm glad that the show highlights. Um, yeah, so it's, it's in the main, much mm. more in the mainstream. Than it's been about seven years since you went to Edinburgh, though, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so how's that going to be, going back? I feel like the ghost of festivals past, yeah. Is it, is it a good experience for you? Or? I've always really, really liked Edinburgh, and I sometimes feel like I do a year's living in those four weeks. This time, I think, because my partner and my child will be in Bulgaria, and so I'll be free from childcare, and I'll actually be able to do some reading and some writing, and so hopefully I won't feel... Because I don't drink anyway, so I just sort you of... You don't? It'll so be, there won't be any shenanigans? No, I, well, I, 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 I'm available for shenanigans, <laughs> but no, I just, but I'll, I'll, I'll be taking a lot of books, and I think I can get some work done. Yeah, and we've got the book festival up there as well, so you'll I did you'll that be, last year, You'll yeah, be happy. That's good, yeah. <laughs> Talking of shenanigans, I was going to say, I, I read recently that you, you discarded your backstage pass somewhere, and you were chased by bouncers across... Corridors I, and onto stage. Yeah, well, it happened tonight. I never. I always look like a gatecrasher at my own gig, and my experiences of ne- is of never being. This is this is what some you know we'd kindly call having a cult level of of um, success. Uh, is that the security and the com- commissioners and the backs of people they don't know who you are, and so you might have sold out a venue, and then they and then you're just walking around backstage looking a bit like you don't belong and then someone will challenge you and you don't want to have to say, I am the turn. So I usually just start running and I've been, and then they start chasing after you. I've been chased by bouncers and security people and, and commissioners in Glasgow Royal Theatre, um, uh, Brighton Pavilion, Soho Theatre, 
uh, and then I, I broke the knuckle on my right hand because they, they wouldn't they wouldn't let violence. me no they wouldn't let me into my own sold out gig at the Leeds Town and Country Club, <laughs> and I and I pushed through the doors and in a fit of peak I punched a framed picture of John Mo- John Cougar Mellencamp on the wall which I thought was against the <laughs> plaster wall it was against a brick wall and I had to the gig was postponed while I went to A and E. So, oh, um, so but you still did the gig. Oh yeah, I felt quite rock and roll coming <laughs> on with a sort of a. You know, it all plastered up. So you're, you're well known as a political comedian, uh, alongside other big names such as Mark Steele or Mark Thomas. Would you say there are fewer uh, political comedians coming through and trying political comedy? No, there's a real explosion of um, a lot of um, really good uh, female comics doing a lot of um, uh, political material. And there's this wonderful comedy club called Lolitics where they... Um, have a rule on sort of uh, no sexism, no racism, uh, no ironic racism as well, and um, it's kind of terrifying that you have to have this as a sort of rule uh, now. And that it's rules sort out of, quite a lot. Of yeah, yeah. People, and um, but it's a very and also no heckling. It's a very nurturing place. People go to try new stuff, and there's a real diversity of acts. And I've seen some really sharp uh, political comedy there, and um, and I think there's a lot of people doing a lot of very imaginative stuff. I, I mean, it's not very fashionable to say, but I think it's a sort of golden age mm. of comedy at the moment. You know. There's a lot of really interesting stuff yeah. around. You've written four novels, your latest being The Swashbuckler Trade Secret. Do you find it easier to write novels or stand-up shows? Blimey. Um, they're such different things. I mean, you can get carried away... I mean, the, the Trade Secret took me six years, partly because it was, it was, at one point, it was twice as long as it is now, partly because you want to sort of show off all your research. <laughs> and um, it got better when I just tried to just think, OK, it, nothing can stay in this book that isn't to do with the, you know, the story and, and, and the emotions of the characters. But um, what I love about stand-up is it's it sort of immediate. You can try it, you write a joke and you, or, or a piece of material or a sketch or a routine and then you can, perhaps within you know, a few weeks, you can be trying it out and, and, mm. and, then, and then you know whether it's connecting or not. With a novel, you, it's hard to know. You think, you're just off am I any good? And, yeah. Have I learned anything? Am I connecting with readers? You don't know until you've handed it in and got yeah, the reviews, yeah, yeah. I guess. Or sometimes people come up to you and they say how much they liked, they liked a book. But you think, people probably do that to Geoffrey Arch, you know, you know sort <laughs> of, so what does it mean, you know? But they, they usually sort of, you know, I like to think they're a better, a be, a better sort than would come up to him. <laughs> I'm sure know. they are. You're a keen environmentalist. Yes, you don't drive, you don't do short-haul flights. Well, I'll drive a hire car. I don't own a car. Oh, okay. Right, right. So, but I'll, I'll drive a hire car to, to a gig sometimes. An eco car, I'm sure. It's just sometimes just, a, you know, from the local car hire place. <laughs> yeah. It's very hard to hire a car <laughs> if you're in show business because there's some places... I, I tried to hire a van the other day to remove some stuff from my deceased mother's house and they said, no, you can't... I had to pretend that I was a lecturer. I said, you can't do anything. We just can't insure yeah, anybody. In. And, he, and I said, why? He said, well, you know, like Justin Bieber. And I said, <laughs> I'm a 50-year-old, you know, anarcho-syndicalist comic. It's not going to be the same. Mate, you you? I don't, you're telling me you don't even drink anymore. No. <laughs> and you cycle a lot, I think. But that's the point. I mean, the, you know, I mean, there's a, there are human rights issues to do with ethical consumerism mm. because it's... Uh, Profound. On one level, it's, it's sort of iniquitous because whoever has the most money to buy has the most democracy, you know, in that in that in that way. And also, lifestyleism won't change things. I mean, it's good in so far as it goes, but you have to change the sort of the system as well. And um, you know, if if 
if saying that you care means um, what you buy and what you don't buy, then people who've got less money to buy different things are, are told that they care less. But that's not true. But it's sometimes it's the only, you know, it's the only way they can they can they can do things. And so, um, you know, in I'm very interested in sort of environmental justice because there, I mean, and it's never really talked about the the human rights aspect of climate change enough, which is climate change affects the poor hardest, I and mean, it hits them hardest. And um, whereas it usually being criticised as, oh, it's a middle-class obsession, but of course, I mean, it might be in the global north, but in the global south it really isn't. And, and like, whether it's in, in New Orleans or Bangladesh, I mean, it's the, the, it's the poor that climate change hits hardest. Yeah. And so I'm very interested in the idea of... Um, um, reparations that you know climate reparations being paid by the industrialized north you know in to, as a way of paying off our carbon debt with free technology transfers um, um, uh, because also they're going to be paying for the pollution that we've been causing since the 19th yeah. century um, so kind um, of equality through yeah this is this should be where the the debate about you know climate change is about about you know um, environmental justice and, and you know technology transfers and climate reparations and cl and our pa us paying off our carbon debt. But of course, because even Robert Peston is saying the BBC take their agenda from the Daily Mail. I mean, I've tried. To, I tried to. Pi I pitched a show called Life After Carbon right. uh, to the BBC. Before. They said, "Oh, no, he's probably see all those people saying, you know, why are you going on about climate change? Is it really happening?" And that was, you know, that was four or five years ago. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't. You know, that wasn't sort of around about the time Rachel Carson was writing Silent Spring. That was. Mm. A, that was. So it's an ongoing. It's an, ongo for, it's an ongoing yeah. thing. Well, and the only struggle, the difficulty in political co co comedy sometimes is that, is that sometimes it sounds like you're coming from Mars because cause the version of events that they're being told is, is just sort of insane. Hmm. So, so Radio 6 Music, that's meant to be an alternative station. Well, and whenever you're trying to do anything left-wing or anything about social justice or environmental on, on the BBC, they say, well, we've got to have balance. Well, I'm listening to 6 Music Radio the other day and the news was... They cut to the newsreader who read out a press release from Migration Watch, totally unchallenged, and then that was it, back to Arcade Fire. And that was the news mm. on this. And so and so there's no balance, no right reply, no one's saying, well, look, there's absolutely equal numbers of Europeans coming in and out. It's a total non-issue. You know, just stand up and say that and we'll move on and talk about something that's real. Um, it's just, just there. It's just, a, you know, they've just got this Daily Mail monkey mm. on their backs. And and, um, and it's you, you cover a lot of these issues in your shows, and I think the average person that goes to your shows comes away having learnt something. What do you hope they do with the, the things they've learnt from your shows, and do you kind of see your shows as a call to action almost? Well, uh, I think one, one of the terrible things with, say, um, this reductive idea of genes or us is terribly fatalistic. It sort of says that you don't really have much free will. Free will. I mean, every you know, it's you know, human nature is bad, and you can try to overcome your corrupt biological self. You know, but you know, um, let us try to teach altruism, says Dawkins, because we are born selfish. And that's terribly fatalistic, and it plays into the hands of people saying, look, the way we live now, it's a law of nature. You can't change things. In fact, any to any attempt to change things. Would, would just create thing would be going so counter to the grain of nature, the grain of hu what humanity is really like. They would just make things much worse, mm. and that's what everyone's been saying from Herbert Spencer through T. H. Huxley. It, it's there in 
it's there in Malthus, it's, which was a sort of, of course, a big influence on, on Darwin even, and, um, and of course it's not true. And, uh, and so, so a lot of the sort of dogmas, I don't want to free people from dogmas which aren't true, like so the idea that, you know, um, you know, environmentalism is a luxury you can't afford in time of economic crisis. Well, you know, tell that to the Works Progress Administration, tell that to FDR. I mean, what they did in the greatest sort of Dust Bowl depression that America had ever known, they did this massive uh, um, uh, uh, state spending of things like Civilian Conservation Corps, where they, where they paid two and a half million young Americans between 18 and 25 to sort of basically rewild America and repair the damage caused by industrial agriculture. And it happened to save the United States uh, in the late 1930s, just in time for the United States to save the world from fascism, but that's just disappeared from history. Mm. It's the wrong. It's the wrong lesson. So it didn't happen. You know, it's you know, cut to the bone, austerity, and all this, which of course no one believes. I mean, FT don't believe it. No one believes it because mm. it's sort of because um, there's massive corporate welfare, um, you know, uh, going on in, 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 in instead, and 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 the targeting of very vulnerable people, many of whom you know, don't have a secure citizenship status. Um, so it's a really pernicious mm. uh, set of beliefs that so you, all, that you all your link into each to other. be aware of this and take it on board and maybe do something in their own right? Yes, I think so. I think democracy needs activists. Mm. Um, and just to give people confidence that, I mean, I think all this sort of, um, this idea that you know we are born selfish it gives people anthropophobia we feel that we've got this very we feel that we're just fundamentally bad and that, and that um it's lucky that there are these strong powerful authoritarian figures and companies to control us and to give people self-confidence to act you know because um you know we, we have to do some very large scale sort of uh, um things and those things aren't always doomed. The welfare state was one of those very large democratic interventions. It wasn't doomed. It liberated loads of people, led to great, the greatest period of social mobility in human history. Uh, and, 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 um, and it also stopped the influence of the far right. And, and um, you know, it, it's not a mystery held in a secret, you know, cabal by some medieval scholars. I mean, it's it's all in the out there we, everyone knows what what you do to make a more just and fair and equal world but people sort of it's just having confidence just a little bit of confidence and 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 to be more optimistic i mean pessimism is a really dangerous thing politically and it's sort of seen that um it's somehow intellectually superior to be pessimistic than to be optimistic i mean it's, you know even though you know our greatest writers like you know are often quite optimistic mm. Um, and it's, it's quite an adolescent idea that you're, you know, you know, the longer than the raincoat, the, you know, the nobler you are. I mean, yeah. it's not, it's not true. Um, and so just to, just to, I mean, whenever I go along to, to sort of an, an action, whether it's, you know, if it's a, a you know, reclaim the power thing or, or a benefit, you go, I often come away feeling very, um, not so, such a sort of lonely individual atomized being, but connected to other people who feel the same way and I feel that the world is more more malleable than 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 than, than um, and and that and that people have more power than we're told we have I mean, it's a very good to, to disempower people and and you know, you know and there are a lot of students feel disempowered because unlike when I was a student and we had free grants nowadays they know they're going to leave in debt and also all around them 
because they've allowed advertising on campuses now, and so they're just surrounded by, you know, by mm. by these terrible messages of uh, uh, all the time, and 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 it, that has a deleterious mm. effect on morale, and it's a, it's a you know, it, and these things can be a disaster, and it, it's something to fight against. Mm. I think it's very inspirational for a lot of people. I was wondering, following a European court ruling recently, um, Google has been required to accommodate the right to be forgotten. Um, is there anything about yourself that you would like to be removed on the internet? I, d- I just don't. I mean, I just you got you have to sort of think. Well, it'll all be sort of you know. Um, I, I've never, I've never, um, I've never sort of, I'd never dare do anything which, which would. Um, I've got such a fragile sense of self anyway. I, I don't. I wouldn't ever dare. <laughs> Do that. I once read all the troll things on something I'd written in Guardian comment and that, that was all right because it was oh, talking about. I talked about. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You just got to assume it's just out there and there's nothing you can do. And um, um, I mean, uh, Alan Davis said um, that he met some footballer who was very aggressive to me, and he said, Alan Davis, "Why, why are you being like this?" He says, "You know, you called me a twat, and in one of your stand-up shows." He said, Sure, I didn't. Or, no, so it was an interview. You called me a twat in an interview. And, and so he said, and they said, so he t- I typed in Alan Davis, twat. He said, you don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of strange people writing strange things on the internet. There is, however, when people say, who are you to talk about science? The, the world expert on the phenotypic plasticity of couches, spadefoot toads is called Robert A. Newman. So I always sort of think, <laughs> if you go into Google Scholar, there's this Robert A. Newman, of course, my middle name is Alan. So I just hope for you, know, you never know. Sometimes there can be confusion. Out, confusion. Yes, I have I'm, I'm, I'm con- reason to be concerned about the US suspension of habeas corpus because there's someone else called Robert Newman, born the same date as I am, the same colouring as I am, who uh, is wanted for some crime. Whenever I go through American court, when I used to go, go through the American, um, not the court, uh, that through the airport, through the customs, I'm always taken out and put in a room and different people come in uniform and they look at the computer, they look at me and they look at the computer and, look, and then eventually they always say, oh, it's not him. <laughs> and I once I said, well, will you tell me what it is in case I change my hair and it's the same as his? And at the time I was very skinny and they, the last time I was in America, which was 2004, and they said, um, oh, it's not you, this guy is 220 pounds, which is about what I weigh now, I guess. So I didn't possibly <laughs> go there because I'll just be, I'll just be uh, in Gitmo. Amnesty supports and promotes freedom of expression. But is there anything you think comedians shouldn't joke about? Of course there is. Um, I mean, I, there is uh, a sort of um, people doing rape jokes at the moment, and that's, that's despicable, and, it's, and it shouldn't be allowed. I mean, you know, I mean, venues sh- should, should stop people doing that. And, I, and, I, um, and um, you know, there are, in law, there are laws against incitement of racial hatred, and I just cannot believe that these people are still allowed on mainstream television when they've done the most shocking jokes about, about you know, rape and rape apologist jokes. And, Naming um, any names or...? Well, you know who I mean. <laughs> and, um, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's a, you know, it's, mm. it's, a dis, it's a... I mean, it's outrageous. And it's tolerated because it's about women, but it wouldn't be tolerated... Um, if it was about Jews or blacks, and 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 there's a great, but that's partly because of the struggles that were done. Like the 43 group in in 1943 was named after Jewish ex-servicemen who came back from, and commandos who came back from the Second World War on leave and discovered 
Moses Backshirts organising on the streets of East London and South London, and so they formed, you know, they, they, you know, these sort of, they would go in and use direct action to smash up fascist meetings, and it worked. Um, and I just, um, but it's, but what happens now? You set up, you say, wonderfully ironic. Yes, you're really giving it to those, you know, those political correctness people who are dominating us. They dominate, we rule us. You know, well, that's right, because the airwaves had. Black lesbians, just black disabled lesbians, are dominating every every mm. every media show as we know, and um, and it, it's just it's just uh, I mean it's an outrage. So you think they should take more responsibility over the effects of, of their jokes? Yeah, and I just think there should be a campaign among among audiences to to you know what the forty three group used to do is overturn the stage. I mean, why can't you do that? I mean, you're preventing a greater crime. Well, I think that is all the time we have. But okay. Rob Newman, thank you very much for joining us. Thank and you. good luck in Edinburgh. Thank you very much. Thank you. If you're interested in learning more about human rights or joining Amnesty International, then please go to our website, amnesty.org.uk. And make sure you don't miss our next episode. Here's a sneak peek. I think the people, the people who book these festivals... They don't cast a wide enough net. I mean, I'm doing a show in Edinburgh called Funny for a Girl, and the reason I did it is because I'm getting, every day, there are four different women on a bill. We're all different from each other, but all equally funny. And it's to showcase all the women out there who you don't see necessarily see on telly, but I know are really brilliant club comics. And the problem is that sometimes just promoters will just go to certain agents and go, you know, send me a win. But not every comic has like a big time agent, do you know what I mean? So they need to cast, they need to put more effort into searching for women. There are brilliant women out there, but they need to go looking for them, you know? Mm-hmm.